Welcome to Children of the 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies from the 80s. I'm Jamie. And I'm Liana. And today we're going to talk about Footloose, the 1984 Herbert Ross classic. The best movie about sweaty bacon you'll ever see. When did you first see Footloose, Liana? Well, it's a very interesting story, actually. Uh, My first experience of Footloose was something pretty special. Um, I was living in Malaysia at the time. And there was a guy who, he's kind of my definition of the ultimate successful entrepreneur. He turned up at our house on a bicycle with a a backpack of VHS uh, videos for rental. And uh, it was, you know, a door-to-door video service. Like, who'd ever thought of that? And we got to rent Footloose, the movie that I, the hot movie, you know, the one I really wanted to see. And, um, And we, you know, excitedly pushed the, the, the video into the machine and the music came out, awesome music, and the screen was entirely red except for a very narrow band at the bottom where you could see the feet, the feet moving, which of course <laughs> is like the iconic image from this film is that, you know, the opening clip where there's feet dancing. Um, I have to say I, it was a slightly difficult experience to get kind of every nuance. Just seeing the bottom inch Just of the screen. Just seeing the bottom inch of the screen. And I think there are an, another thing that's going on is, as we watched it again recently, I, it came to me that I probably missed many of the good bits because one of the features of living in Malaysia at the time was that you could see anything because everything was censored. So all the good bits were censored. You know, you'd see somebody walking up in a romantic kind of gesture and then immediately, like, walking away again because they'd cut all the good bits so or this, walking this towards the This movie was probably about 20 minutes long. It was very starts. short. It was yeah. very short. So, But the music was enough to keep me feeling intrigued. And, you know, I could claim that I had seen it. So that was my first experience. And I have to say, in a credit to the guy's service, when he came back, we still rented another one. And the next time he came back, he was on a motorbike. And by the time we left the country, three months later, this guy owned two video stores. Well, that's a testament to the power of the movie Footloose, directed by Herbert Ross. I think, uh, I think he can credit his success to having that one, that one cassette. Absolutely. So Footloose came out in 1984. Uh, because this podcast is Children of the 80s, we are not talking about the 2011 remake. In fact, that's the only time I'll mention it. Uh, from there was before. not a 2011 remake. Yeah, didn't you know this? No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. No, they, 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 that's they sacrilege. Some people say it was better. But I find that hard to believe. What could top Kevin Bacon dancing in a warehouse? It's a steel mill, actually. Well, well it's even a warehouse yeah, steel better. mill. Sweat dripping from his forehead. There is a lot of sweat dripping from Kevin Bacon. A lot Kevin of Bacon's. sweat. Yeah, there's a lot of sweat in this. But this is a much sweatier movie than, than most dancing the movies. The 80s were sweaty days. times. They were sweaty times. Yeah. There's a simpler time, a sweatier time. Yeah. So I want to talk about this credit sequence a little bit because, first of all, it's totally awesome. I'm just going to play a little clip of the music just to remind us all how awesome it is. Okay, that's awesome. It is awesome. It's sensational, and it's a fantastic clip. For those of you who may not be familiar with the clip, it's basically, you know, 100 pairs of feet dancing, arguably dancing. Some dancing, some not dancing. And it's sort of from lower calf down. You see the foot and not a whole. It's really ankle. It's really it's really ankle and feet. How did, and how did Malaysians feel about ankles? Was that okay? Did you well, get this ankles bit? ankles Anything? actually are considered extremely erotic in Islamic culture. So you've never seen this before. So. <laughs> no, 
No, because you know that's like that's what you get to see. If somebody is in, you know, is kind of in 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 a hijab, like you, the ankles are what you see. So right. yeah. Okay. But you know that was interesting that that was the bit that we could see in the movie. You there was see, sort of there was a red inch along the bottom, and then a kind of a couple of blurry strips okay. midway out. So you saw mm. a bit. So you saw a bit of ankle in it. Yeah. Um, so the thing, is, first of all, it's an awesome credit sequence and an awesome song. It, it gives you a pretty misleading impression of the movie, I think, because for a movie about dancing, there's actually not that much dancing in this movie. Well, there's kind of, there's sort of the dancing you have when you're not having a dance, right? So it's people, you know, shaking their shoulders in the, yeah, in you the, know, at, at the drive-in. At the, at the, at the drive-in. Yeah. When somebody, you know, wildly puts a cassette tape in. Yeah, I do remember that. So th- so by my count, there's that scene, and then there are three dancing scenes. There's there's Sweaty Bacon in yeah. the steel mill. Yep. There's when they cross state lines, which is weird because it implies that dancing is illegal in the whole state, but they go across state lines to Oh, well, dance. it's... That, that's, I mean, that's the key thing for... Oh, that it is illegal in the whole state. Yeah, but, yeah, it's, not, but it's not. Clear. No, it's, it's just, just the in the town. And then, and then the big finale. Mm. Yeah. So we cut from the credits with the dancing feet to some rural scenes of, of small-town America. Bucolic, really, isn't it? Bucolic. That's, that's, an, that's an excellent 50-cent word. Yes, some bucolic scenes of uh, rural American life. And in the background, while you're looking at these hay balers and, and, and whatnot, there's a preacher, John Lithgow, with some real fire and brimstone preaching in the, uh, in, in the voiceover. If our Lord wasn't testing us, how would you account for the proliferation these days of this obscene rock and roll music with its gospel of easy sexuality and relaxed morality? If our Lord wasn't testing us, why, he could take all these pornographic books and albums and turn them into one big fiery cinder like that. And you know, so John Lithgow sounding fantastic, but I have to say, looking very old, which must make him super old so, now. So you know how old he is when he in this no, movie. So no. he's he's the preacher, he's the town patriarch, he's he's thirty nine. Thirty-nine. Yeah, mm, bit of a rough-looking thirty-nine. It, it it is a rough-looking thirty-nine. If uh, if you haven't seen the movie recently, he looks kind of the way he looks now. Right? Yes. He's missing most of his hair. Kind of what's left is white and spiky. Um, I guess seventies were a tough decade for, for 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 John Lithgow. Absolutely. So the interesting thing about this scene is it is an it is a very good opening scene. It it sets it kind of gives you everything you need to know. Everything. Yeah, the whole town's right there. The town's there. It's very clear immediately that the church is at the centre of the community, that John Lithgow is large and in charge, that he is super, super conservative, and that it is a very close-knit, closely-watched community. Yeah, he, so, he, so he's on top of things, and uh, n- there's not going to be any rock and roll music on his watch. That's oh, all. yeah. Yes. No parting. Yeah, that's all I have to say. And we also get our first look at really all of the characters. We, we, we meet... Uh, the Ariel, who is John, the Reverend's daughter, who we know is Laurie Singer. You know, you can tell just by looking at her that she is up to no good. She is. She has trouble written all over her, which John Lithgow, by the way, or sorry, Reverend Shaw Moore, does does not seem to pick up on. Yeah. He uh, he seems really worried about the rock and roll music. He has much bigger problems with uh, Ariel than uh, the rock and roll. That's so true. Yeah. And then, of course, we meet Kevin Bacon. And the main thing that you need to know about Kevin Bacon is very clearly communicated, and that is... Cut! 
And if you picked it up there, there are two voices. One is the studied nonchalance of Ariel saying she, she can take him or leave him. And the other prize for those of you who are paying close attention. Sarah Jessica Parker, her Sarah, first film role. Sarah Jessica Parker. Age 19. Very, very, she does a great job here. And this was the first of many sidekick roles. For a long time, Sarah Jessica Parker was considered kind of not sufficiently Hollywood attractive to uh to be an a-list actress i don't know what they were thinking but um yeah so this was this was her first role and and she and she she is 19 years old she looks and sounds younger than that to be honest yeah she does she sounds like a kid but she's still she's still awesome she is now you know the only thing she did before this that anyone has ever heard of three two one contact for you real children of the 80s out there nice nice she was a guest star on a few uh, a few episodes of uh, Three Two One Contact. So the girls all are headed off to, to to get a soda, and of course, what's the best way to get a soda but uh, to drive what seems like a very long way out of town? And look, there are, there are a few different things going on here, but the key thing in, in terms of what happens next is Ariel, Laurie Singer, almost dies because of a stupid stunt with her boyfriend. Yep. And then the other things you need to know, you know, he's a new kid in school. He turns up with a skinny tie. Big city kid. Big city kid. You think it's all going to go terribly wrong. And, you know, somehow he makes it work. He makes a friend. You know, one is enough. He he certainly pisses off the Ariel's boyfriend. By the way, his friend, Chris Penn, Sean Penn's brother, um, in, in I, I like Chris Penn. He does, he, do, he does good work in this movie. He definitely uh, does. Yeah. yeah, he does. You know, Chris Penn died recently. Well, um, heart heart condition or something like that. Yeah, died young. Now, the other interesting thing about Chris Penn in this movie is he's also in the movie All the Right Moves, which you may not be familiar with, but All the Right Moves stars uh, Tom Cruise. And because Tom Cruise is doing All the Right Moves, he was unable to play the role of, what do you think? I don't know. Ren McCormick in Footloose. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, oh, uh, you know, I'm so glad it was Kevin Bacon and not Tom Cruise. I don't think, yeah, you wouldn't watch the movie the same way if you had Tom, no. Tom Cruise. No. Right. So he makes a friend. So he makes a friend. And, you know, that's kind of, and you also get that his mum is, has just brought him here because his dad's walked off. So he's got dad abandonment issues. By the way, his mum, first of all, I think Kevin Bacon is 28, and his mum, I think, is 36. That's the way it's done in Hollywood. It is the way it's done That's in Hollywood. That's it's done. And, and, the, and the same is true. So Laurie Singer has a bigger gap to John Lithgow, but there are lots of parents who are kind of six or eight years That's older the than, their, than, yep. than, than, than their kids. Um, the other thing you should know about the mom is she also plays Marty McFly's mom in Back to the Future, not, not in 1955, but in 1985. So uh, I can't remember her name. Francis something. But there you go. That's all I got for you. So he's got a friend. He's getting settled into school. Um, he gets a job. He gets a job at, at the, the flour mill, I think. Mm, and uh, Ariel pops by to uh, just in time to see him hauling flour. Yeah, pretty manly hauling flour. That's a, and, that's a manly job. And to lay down a challenge from her boyfriend. Well, yeah, because the boyfriend isn't a big fan of, uh, of, of Ren McCormick. So he wants to settle this. The old-fashioned way. Chicken race with tractors? Well, how hard could it be, right? It's like a car. It's easy. 
It's like driving a sports car. Nothing could be simpler. They all nervously call. Come. So, of course, right? That's Everybody's it, favorite, a chicken race with tractors. I must have done like half a dozen of these in high school. You, you, you get the hang of it after a while. Um, you ever done a chicken race on a tractor? Well, you know, a couple, but... Uh, yeah, it's more a guy thing. I it is more of a guy thing. Yeah. So, you know, so it's it's the setup. It's kind of grease all over again, uh, but, in the, you know, with more dust. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this, this, this chicken tractor race, I don't know if you noticed this, Kevin Bacon has a lot of people on his side. That's what I'm saying. You know, this right. th- like he he has maybe it's a skinny tie, maybe it's because he's a fox, maybe it's because he's got that spiky hair, but he has that Kevin Bacon charisma, and he's working it. You know, he has very quickly inculcated himself in the town. The other thing which I think is really interesting about this high school, mm-hmm. there's like nine million people at this. This high is school. a big high school, right? It's for a town, huge. for a town in the that it seems to have about. 2,000 people, about three-quarters of them are high school students, as far as I can tell. This is a, yeah, it's a big high school. Yeah, so good times. So, the you know, all the buddies are there, and, of course, there's only one problem, which is that Kevin Bacon, you know, has never driven a tractor before. Yeah, but he gets a tutorial. You know, he does get a tutorial. Yeah, yeah, so here. I've never driven a tractor before. Jeez, look, Mr. Clutch. Yeah, and so it goes. So very, some very, very helpful tips and advice. Yeah, pretty basic stuff, really. So in the race itself, Leon, I don't know if you noticed this, but the tractors start about 100 feet apart, and they go pretty fast, and it takes them a very, very long time well, to cover the... Uh, yeah, this is piece. a classic scene, you know, right? Cut, they're getting closer, they're getting closer, yeah. building the tension. It's very effective, because not only is he driving an enormous tractor with the... It's totally awesome. You know, the, I want, I want a, a the digger right up. Whatever. Bucket is the Bucket, thank you, the it. bucket. Yeah. And, uh, which, you know, you don't think he's done deliberately, but it's a very threatening thing. But right at the moment, the critical moment, he he has, you know, of course, the hero's classic hero's dilemma, his shoelace is caught. Yes. In, Kevin Bacon in has the, a shoelace in, incident here. So, yeah. so he's actually trying to, trying to stop. He's, he's, trying trying to, to, he's trying to jump. He's, he's trying to jump he's, off he's the He's like, tractor. dude, I'm out of here. I'm happy to be a chicken. Yeah. But. But he can't because the shoelace can't. is cut. So let's, what do you think is going to happen? Let's see what I, happens. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's see what happens. Such an awesome soundtrack. That's, That's his foot his... trying frantically. He's trying to jump, but he can't he's jump. Trying to jump. Facing his fate. And what does the bad guy boyfriend do? Abandons ship. Tractor going down the ditch. Girlfriend running. Hat in the air. Kevin Bacon's my Victory. So, and let's just pause and uh, finger snaps for Bonnie Tyler here. Yeah. With, you know, uh, I mean, I need a hero. And frankly, <laughs> Kevin Bacon, he could be the one. What does, he have to, what does that hero have to be, Liana? He's got to be fresh from the fight. You yeah, know, he's got to be okay. strong. Yeah, I see that. Okay. So, you know, we cut from this, this sort of victory socially that he's having with... Uh, with tractor chicken is so Tractor awesome. chicken. But, you know, at the same time, it's not, it's not easy, right? Like, the, the guy's new guy in town. He's, got, he's making some enemies... And he's there's a bit of kind of shuffling with some suspected weed that's planted on him. You know, it's not totally easy for him. And we cut now to a scene where his uncle 
is giving him a bit of hard time. Yeah, so you remember that Kevin, Kevin's moved down from Chicago because his dad has left. So he's living with his aunt and uncle and his, and his mom. And his uncle's giving him a little bit of what for. Here we are. And I don't know what to make of it. But it seems a lot of people are pointing a finger in your direction lately. And what are they saying? What I have been telling you about the trouble and the drugs and... You just seem to be having a lot of trouble since you moved here. And I... So... Part of what's going on in this movie is there actually there are a lot of different moving parts here, a lot of subplots. And one thing I did notice watching it uh, recently is that they rush through a bunch of them fairly quickly. So you've got a lot of awesome set piece scenes. You know, the scene with kind of fitting in with his uncle is a bit cl- is a bit quick. Uh, you know, the subplot around John Lithgow and kind of his family. You, you don't see a lot of that stuff, but when you see it, they really kind of suck it to you. And I have to say. You know, a lot of this uh, escaped my attention on my first red line viewing. On the, on the one-inch viewing? I don't know viewing. whether it was my age or the screen, but some of these subtleties were lost. All I remember is the dancing. So I think it is also just... So, you know, he's having some family troubles. He's had his dad abandon him. And, you know, of course, he's trying to settle into a new town. And then the other thing that is going on as well, as we touched on earlier, is that John Lithgow and the Reverend's you know, his family and the girlfriend is, is a big part of that, uh, they've lost their son uh, in a drink drive accident. And, and we know that there's already this kind of the, the youth, despite the fact that there are very, very tight restrictions around what they are allowed to do, they are getting up to all kinds of no good business. Yes, yes. so this is very true. And we, and we haven't talked much about John Lithgow, but he is really worried when he finds his daughter dancing. But his daughter is up to a heck of a lot of stuff he clearly has no idea about. Yeah, she's off in the bushes, uh, you Zipping know, making, making whoopee yeah. with her boyfriend. Yes. There's, there's, there's drugs going on. There's, like, there's a whole lot of... There's very risky drink driving going on. Uh, and also, look, and I say this with all due respect to Laurie Singer, but if I, if, if I were John Lithgow, I think, I think at some point I'd be telling her to wear a bra. Yeah, I have to say that was that was a that was a sort of a, a you know maybe it's something from the eighties. It was a very very different thing. There is not a single scene in this movie where she's she's wearing a bra. Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. worried more about that than the cassette tape. But uh... well, you know the thing is, uh, bare breasts don't give you ideas, but rock and roll. Yeah, as 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 a long time guy, I just I just can't agree with that. But, uh, <laughs> um, I'm saying rock and roll gives me no ideas. Uh, I wasn't. Um, so I think we have to move on to really the most awesome scene in the entire movie, which is the dance in the abandoned steel mill. Now, as Leon said, Kevin's going through some, some, some dark times. Ren, Ren is the character's name. He's been kicked off the gymnastics squad kind of for no reason. They, uh, they, they say they don't have funding for another gymnast, which is weird for two reasons. One is how much funding does it take to have for one more high school gymnast. But the other thing is we see a scene earlier where he's working out, and let me tell you, he is... First of all, he clearly has a stunt double, but he is awesome. Yeah. He's like doing flips and back handsprings. Olympic level excitement. Yeah, but they kick him off the gym team because he's a troublemaker. He's That's a troublemaker, and so he's sad. And you know, what do you do when you're a teenager and you're sad? Well, if there's an abandoned steel mill in town, I know what I'd sure do. So he slips a cassette in the tape deck. Amazing sound system in this car, by the way. It sounds yeah. very high fidelity. And again, awesome soundtrack. Awesome soundtrack. A lot of frustration. He's smoking and drinking a beer. 
But you know, that's not the worst of the sins, right? Oh, and I'd forgotten about this. It's a montage. It's an anger montage. Yes, this is an anger montage. I love this anger montage. So we cut between him kind of pounding the car and looking unhappy, and then soft focus. All the scenes of righteous indignation. Yeah. So he sees Ariel kind of giving him a dirty look. We see him kind of, his boyfriend giving him a dirty look. All this is in his memory. He gets so worked up, he breaks the beer bottle. Oh, oh, and now he's starting. We've got the classic... The hips are swinging, the knees are moving together. He is so angry about all these things in the soft focus anger montage. It is a soft focus anger montage. I love the soft focus anger montage. It's not a phrase you get to say a lot, really. Anyway, he is is dancing the heck out of this thing in this abandoned steel mill. And we also... I don't think we have any premonition that he can dance. No. Right? There's no mention. Oh, and he can dance. I mean, again... Or Ariel, like he just did an Ariel, not that the early character appeared. Oh, the shirt's coming off. Yeah. And this is, guys, this is hot, angry dancing. It There's is no hot, way. angry dancing. And it's very reminiscent of Flashdance. And you've got to remember these were kind of around at the same time. Yeah, this this came out a little bit after Flashdance. Some people made fun of it as Flashdance on the farm. Which... Yeah. So certainly the sort of the gritty industrial, how can I use the equipment to be part of the dance routine. So now here is one of the most peculiar but interesting scenes where he somehow swings down... It's very Tarzan-like. ...on a, a chain. And in this abandoned cell, which seems very unsafe to me. Yeah, but, uh, and then finds his way, as you do, to a perfect set of uh, a parallel sure. bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right, in the steel mill. And to kind perform of the... some, you know, triple backflips. This is... So I... it's really... And again, as we said, a lot of sweat... A lot of spiky hair. Yeah. He's wearing jeans, sneakers, and a white uh, tank top. Here we go. Yes, abandoned steel mill, perfect parallel bar. Some beautiful, beautiful gymnastics work. Yeah. I'd give him a an 7.5 for difficulty and a 9.3 for execution. What would you, the American judge? Well, uh, we have a bit of great inflation. I give him a perfect 10 because... Because you're I, not, was, not a gymnast. Well, this was the same year that Mary Lou Retton scored a perfect 10, right? I'm just yeah. Trying to keep it yeah. And then... He runs into Ariel, and she's just seen him do this amazing dancing. So, so you know, what's a girl to do? Yeah. So, they're in one of the most romantic spots in all of town, the abandoned steel mill, and Ariel takes him to the only spot that's even perhaps more romantic and meaningful, which is the old train junkyard, where apparently the kids like to come after football games and drink, and they write quotes on the walls of abandoned trains and uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, but these are just not any quotes. This is the sort of secret life of the teenagers in the town. Mm. So in addition to rock music and all things hip-wiggling, books are, certain books are banned. And Oh, yeah, they, yeah. yeah, they have some banned so, books here. So these are quotes from these banned books. You know, it's, I don't know, it's like Catcher in the Rye quotes or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think if you're kind of... 18 and angsty, it's, it, it will get you really fired up. Um, and then Ariel, who pretty self-destructive behavior coming out of Ariel, to, for no real reason decides to stand on the tracks as a train approaches her. And it's, I mean, I guess she probably would have just stepped out of the way, but, but Ren does a big dramatic leap and knocks her out of the way onto the ground. And of course, it's also using a feature of the film, which is the, the, switch shots where you go between her point of view and the train and looking at her in the train and and the you know the approach seems imminent for a very long time yes yeah the, the, to this, build the tension. this does happen a lot it happens in the 
in the first uh, time when she's climbing into her boyfriend's car and there's a truck bearing down on them. It happens in the tractor chicken race. It happens on the bridge. Things that should not take that long take a very, very long time. It's a tense film. It it's is a tense, tense film. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a nail biter. So anyway, she is she's saved, and of course, you know, he he's he's leapt uh, across. P- pinned her to the ground, saved her life, and you, they find themselves gazing up into each other's eyes. And you think, this is it, this is the moment. Ariel clearly thinks this is the moment, and uh, Ren... I, th- I thought this was the moment. Ren says, you know what, you're not in good shape, I'm going to take you home. It's gentlemanly. It is. You it's know? smooth. It's smooth. It is smooth. He's, he's a fox. He's, he, yeah, he's a, he's a smooth guy. Um, we then have Ariel gets caught coming home. She has a bit of a run-in with her father. And then we've got a car wash scene, which, again, kind of awesome. So Ren and his, and his buddy, Chris Penn, are, are, are washing the car. And uh, they decide, look, Ren, Ren wants to have a dance. So we start in, in motion the whole kind of second half of this movie, which is, which is building up to uh, the kids want to have a dance. And just to be clear, it's not so much that Ren wants to have a dance. He thinks it's what the town needs. You know, he's been... In in taking him to the little abandoned room, Ariel was taking him into the heart of the teenager in this town and he's seen the old train cars, despair. Yeah. Yes. And he, he believes that the cure for despair is dance. So, so it's beautiful. He, so listen, I've, I'm, I'm going to make up a theory right here on the spot, which is that you've got the Reverend Moore, sorry, Reverend Shaw? Reverend Shaw. The Reverend John Lithgow. He's got his view of what the town needs and what the kids need. And Ren is the other figure. He's got his view, and those views are going to have to meet. And, and fight. And see who is the strongest. Yeah, they're going to yeah. have to meet mm. and fight. Right. Now I want to turn to what I think is one of my favorite scenes in this movie, which is when they go across state lines to dance. This is fantastic. So dancing is outlawed in the town of Beaumont. But for some reason, they have to go all the way across state lines. So perhaps there's been some. Maybe they live very close to the state lines. Maybe they, maybe they do, or maybe yeah. maybe Beaumont's a very, very large town. That's the uh, that's the other possibility. Um, so let's let let's let uh, Kevin Bacon tell us why they're there. He, he can't dance. He, he can't. That is Chris Penn, Sean Penn's brother. And he, in this scene, uh, is, you know, th- they obviously share a family propensity for grade A pouting. Yeah, there, there, is, some good, there is some good Penn pouting. I hadn't noticed that until now. But, uh, so he's, he's very put out because they are here. He's completely out of his element. Uh, he looks the part. He's got he's got the cowboy hat on and the boots, and everyone else is getting down to some John Cougar Mellencamp. But he is sitting on the sidelines uh, with none other than the very glorious Sarah Jessica Parker. So who would have thought that in 1984 you'd have Sean Penn's brother and Sarah Jessica Parker sitting together in, in the bar scene in Footloose? I mean, I guess everybody, if you've seen the movie, because that's what happens. But uh, it, it was a bit of a shock to me. Um, the other thing you should know about Chris Penn, the actor who plays Willard, Kevin Bacon's friend, is he, he, he actually can't dance. And later on in the movie, there's a bit of a montage, a bit of a training montage like in Rocky, except it's, it's dancing. It's, mm. it's, it's phenomenal. It's one, of my fav- it's one of my favorite scenes because, first of all, 
I love a montage. Everyone loves a montage. And I love a learning to dance montage. I mean, it was brought, you know, the the genre of the learning to dance montage has been done before and it's been done since. Dirty Dancing maybe the peak of yep. the yep. learning to dance yep. montage. Yeah, there, yeah. But this was, this was particularly nice and it becomes very apparent that, you know, I mean, the guy can dance and he's awesome at dancing, but, you know, early in the days he's... he's the well, no, Chris Penn couldn't dance. Well... Well, okay, that's... Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, you, if it's written on the internet and you can't believe it, then, then, then what can you trust? Um, so they go to this bar and Ren and Ariel, that's Kevin Bacon and Laurie Singer, uh, they have some great dancing. They are dancing cutting story. a rug. I mean, that's interesting, too, for people who are from a town that can't dance... We we know Kevin Bacon can dance because he's he's been dancing in the big smoke in Chicago. Yeah, we learned that earlier yeah. in the film. But but uh, Ariel, you know, she's Where does that get, come from? She's getting down. She yeah. has got the moves. Yeah, she's stripped off to her little red tank top and she's she's going off. So on the side we've got Rusty Sarah Jessica Parker who looks and sounds like she's about fourteen in this film. She's actually nineteen. She's nineteen. The actress Sarah Jessica Parker is nineteen years she old. She does not. Film. She does not look it. She looks she, super she super not. young, and her voice sounds super young. And she is just crazy with frustration. She finally gives up on Willard, who's uh, the the um, the character that Chris Penn plays, and she just grabs. Some some dude, dude a big, looks like a cuddly cowboy, cowboy yeah. dude, and yeah. uh, and and she's just can't you know she, the music has has grabbed her soul. She can't help herself. Her feet, they got to dance, and of course that leads to the bar brawl. Yeah, and there, there are a couple of odd things about this. First of all, they foreshadow this fight pretty heavily when they're getting in the car to drive across state lines. Uh, I think Rusty t- tells Willard, no fighting. And he says, I don't fight. And they say, yeah, right. Um, and so you, it's not an uncommon scene in a movie, right? A, a, a dance that turns into a fight because someone's jealous. But the funny thing is, you expect that to be kind of a down, But actually, it, it's just sort of a laugh line. Because right after the fight, we just cut to Willard lying on the, the hood of the car with a bloody nose. And everybody's laughing. And they're all having a good time. And the fight was just... Part of the big adventure of the night. It was the eighties. It was the eighties. Fighting was uh, fighting was was, uh, was was what we did for fun. So they head home, and on the way back, they cross the bridge, and we find out that this is the bridge where uh, Reverend Shaw's son, who of course is Ariel's brother, was killed in a car accident. And a drink, you know, and a drink driving accident. Yeah, yeah. And um, the interesting thing about the bridge, so you, you see it, and it's about a hundred feet long. It takes some probably a minute and a half to cross that uh, cross that bridge because we have a fair bit of exposition to get through. So, but the thing that I want to comment about here, and this is where, to me, the film becomes kind of multi-layered and complex. The whole move by the town and the reverend to clamp down on dancing is really an aspiration to clamp down on the things that they think are putting their youth at risk. And there's a scene where he talks about, you know, kind of dancing and drinking and, you know, risky behaviour. It's all kind of tied in together. And, you know, the, 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 the fact is they're right. Because yeah. in this scene, as they're driving home on the bridge, they're all drunk. That's so, true. Yeah. yeah they, they, they've so they, they are just, and, and, you know, and they've been dancing. So they're sort of repeating this whole pattern. Um, and we see, you know, other really kind of crazy, risky behaviour from teenagers associated with 
um, crazy driving because it's a bunch of super yeah, bored. Lots of driving, drinking, fighting, all bored sorts teenagers. of uh, Yeah. So, and I think this is an important point about this movie. Again, it's. Reverend Shaw, it would be very easy to make him a very cartoonish villain who doesn't want the kids to dance. But the the movie actually goes pretty deep into what's motivating him, and it's the loss of his son. And 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 he's you, doing the, feel the thing, yeah, and he's doing the one thing he thinks he can influence. And there's yeah. a little bit of talk about, uh, you know, from his wife saying, "You don't have to be a father to everybody in this town," and you know, you know that that's what he's trying to do, and he's doing it in a super heavy-handed way, really, kind of literally, you know. Preaching fire and brimstone. By the way, there's a there's a scene in which uh, uh, John Lithgow and Kevin Bacon are talking towards the end, and John Lithgow, Reverend Shaw, shows him a photo of his dead son. That's actually a photo of John Lithgow's son. So that was a nice little touch. Mm, who, okay. thankfully, uh, was uh, was alive. There was right. nothing there. So, on a lighter note, uh, after that scene, um, a couple other things happened. But then we have, but to me, is one of the stranger gratuitous shower scenes in, 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 in cinematic history, which is... A little is, bit of obligatory 80s homoerotic, uh, yeah, shower scene yeah, action. And I, and I, and I kind of I kind of think good on them, right? Like, there, there's there's certainly lots of, you know, gratuitous shower scenes in, in Porky's and other movies. It's like, yeah, let's, let's see some high school male butts for no reason. Why not? Absolutely. And, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're hot bodies. They're, yeah, they are. They're in good shape. Kevin's got it going on. Apparently the extras uh, who... So normally the extras are unpaid. They're just locals. But the guys who appeared naked in the shower scene each got 20 bucks. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I, I, I like that. It's a classy thing to, way to do it. And we find out that if he wants to hold a dance, he's got the town ordinance repealed, and that means he's going to need to go to the council. And he's pretty worried about that. And you do. You do, huh? Which way is your left? Huh? Willer, which way is your left? He don't know his left foot from his right foot. I'll tell you something, man. If I got to get up in front of that council, then you are going to learn how to dance. And then we cut to, you know, the classic, gorgeous learning to dance montage. Which is so good. We start, poor old Willard, he can't even click his fingers, snap his fingers in time. It's pathetic. So we start with the finger snapping. It's actually, it's actually, they go backwards from snapping, so you can't snap. They go backwards to clapping. Ren, Ren takes them through some basic clapping. So it's all about, you know, find your rhythm, find your rhythm. It's, it's, there's a whole kind of, this has been done. But a special moment in this 80s film is the paired Sony Walkman uh, dance montage. I, I didn't know you could actually plug two pairs of headphones into a Walkman. It was high tech, high yeah. technology. Yeah. And we move through kind of the full spectrum of small country town life. So they're strolling in the garden, they're hanging out with their younger siblings. They've got a boombox going. They've got a boombox, there's a boombox and he's dive rolling through the fields of flowers. Yeah, yeah, so I will say the improvement is fairly abrupt, right? So he, he can't clap, he can't snap. And then he sort of can't kind of double moonwalk through the, the thing. And now he's like dive rolling through the fields. And anyway, he's a fast learner. I think, I think this montage goes over about a six-year period. I've always... And then they're on the football field. They're, it sort of ties into football movements. And then there's a whole wrestling dance, waltzing wrestling dance montage. It's, it's, really, it's really something. And of course, as in all montages... It is the greatest training coaching experience of all time because, as you said, you know, the skills go from total loser to high-performing 
Yeah, such yeah. Su- su- such an awesome scene. And then we cut to Ariel breaking up with a boyfriend, essentially, and he doesn't take it well. He's convinced mm, that yeah. it's it's Ren. She says, which, which, it, which it, it, is, it is, but you know nothing's happened between them. And, and it's also, I mean, it's, it's up to her, right? If she likes Ren better. And he he starts to kind of get nasty, verbally nasty. And she comes back and thumps him. Not just slaps him, like actually punches him in the face. And he turns around and does it straight back to her. Yeah. Um, and kind of pushes her down on the ground. And then she grabs a crowbar and starts going absolutely berserk, smashing his headlights in, smashing his windscreen. He's being really nasty to her, telling her she's, you know... Yeah, horrible stuff. Yeah, horrible stuff. Um, A really raw scene. And then then he, he, you know, really hoes into her and she's left in the dirt with what looks like a broken nose, certainly a black eye, there's blood everywhere, there's dirt, and he drives off into the dust. And Ren, not that long later, turns up He's checking in to see how she's doing and he has a very poignant moment where he says, you know, maybe you shouldn't try so hard to forget about your brother. But what struck me about this scene after this very, very confrontational, very quite extreme, um, you know, domestic violence situation. It's brutal. It's a brutal scene. She, 30 seconds later, all the signs of bruising and cuts have vanished, which to me sort of tells you something about what they're, you know, that, that it was almost... A, a light, you know, a lighter moment than I think it would be now, because they didn't take that moment and kind of move forward with it. He sees, oh, that she's upset, and then and then that is the moment, in fact, that they have their first smooch. It's like we look at the scene now and we see the violence first and foremost. You get the feeling when they made the movie that was primarily a breakup scene, and they kind of put a little beating in on on the top of it yeah yeah anyway i found it i found it very interesting that that uh, both the scene and then the kind of absence of the scene yeah. in in the one immediately following and i don't just think it was kind of you know movie making time issues around oh we lost the mm. bruise it was just like oh we, we can just move on from that yeah yeah now at the end of the following scene when ren is comforting ariel that's when they have the big kiss yes i which, just yeah yeah which again feels a little bit uh, out of place but Yes, yes. As well, I, again, and maybe that's why they didn't want to have her with a you know bleeding nose because who's gonna you know it's, it's less romantic. But anyway, that's that's the way they set up the scene. All right. So everything is coming together, and we've we've skipped through a number of subplots: the one with the uncle and the mother, uh, the one between Ariel and her father, the Reverend Moore. But it, it comes to a head when Ren McCormick goes to address the city council. Remember, he needs to do this in order to have the ban on dancing revoked so that they can hold their prom. And he puts on his nice skinny tie, uh, and he, he, he looks fantastic. But he's basically going get, to get shouted down. And, uh, and bear in mind that the, you know, one of the kind of most senior council representatives is, of course, the reverend. Yeah, and he's, he explains in a not unsympathetic but pretty firm way that uh, he's just not in favor of this, that this is... Uh, it's too dangerous and it's corrupting and the the liquor and the drugs. I the think liquor is, and the drugs. The liquor and the drugs. And yeah. the destruction of your soul. Yeah, exactly. I just made that bit up, but that's implied. But then who should come in and t- say that Ren deserves his chance to speak but 
The Reverend's wife. The Reverend's wife. The she, you know, Diane Weist, she yeah. brings it in this role. It is not a large role in terms of screen time, but she does some incredible acting, really. Yeah. Her, her just in very subtle facial expressions. And it's a great role, too, because really it's a pivotal role. So she yeah. gives she gives Ran the voice and he takes it and runs with it with a bit mm. of coaching from Ariel. He's Ariel's out, giving him some Bible quotes. He's bringing out Bible quotes left, right, and center. Ecclesiastes, a time for everything, a time yeah. to dance. And does it work? No. No, so the council still shoots him down, um, which I kind of wasn't expecting, I think, rewatching it. You, so, you sort of think, you, you know there's going to be a dance at the end, so you think this is where he's going to get it. He's going to carry the day, but he does not. And the reason he doesn't is the Reverend Moore needs to have his own change of heart. And so there are a number of scenes where he realizes, the Reverend Moore realizes, he's gone too far. There's a book burning where they're pulling stuff out of the school library and burning it in barrels. And he just comes out and says, this is ridiculous. Go home. His long talk, talk with, uh, with Diane Weist, uh, Vivian Moore, his wife. And basically he realizes that all the repression and prohibition on dancing, all of that stuff, it's not going to bring his son back. Mm. And Diane says to him, you have to stop trying to be the father to everybody else in this town. Mm. It's a good line. It's a good line. If we don't start trusting our children, how will they ever become trustworthy? I'm told that the senior class at the high school has got use of a warehouse in Basin for the purpose of putting on uh, a senior dance. Please join me to pray to the Lord to guide them in their endeavors. And so that's that. So they don't haven't changed the law, so they're holding the dance outside town limits, but it has the blessing of the Reverend Moore and implicitly of the town as well. So lots of relieved, happy faces. Now, correct me on this, but I think Diane Weist gives, the, gives her husband, John Lithgow, a look which I would describe as smoldering. <laughs> like she, she's like, yes, you know, he's figured it out and it's going to work out well for him. That's, uh, that's my analysis of the situation. Of course, you're a guy, so it doesn't take much for you to think that someone has got a smoldering look. But I hear what you're saying. Yeah, especially anything related to high school, right? Any basic act of civility, she, she definitely wants me. So, um, so the dance is on. So we have a lot of scenes of them moving flower sacks out of the, uh, out of the old warehouse and putting up decorations, which... You know, a decorating montage. Decorating, montage. decorating montage. It's... They were, they were very montage full times they were and, uh, yeah. but you know and they get to the dance and you think it's going to be the best thing since sliced bread but of course you know opening scene it's super awkward these guys have never been to a dance in their entire high school life they're standing around you know fringes are huge a lot of powder blue tuxedos buffy, yeah. the shoulders are they're in you know apricot colored prom dresses oh, with satin 80s. sashes um and they're standing around like 
ooh, with the slow dance music, nobody's well, dancing. Well, you know who they're missing? Missing Ren and Ariel. Yeah. Um, and what Ren is missing, apparently, is a little bit of fisticuffs, because just as almost it's almost a comic relief scene. On their way into the dance, Chuck, the, uh, the, the ex-boyfriend, stops and there's a there's a brief fight and and ren wins kind of kind of tossed in and sort of as a feel-good moment ren gets to pound the stuffing out of this guy and as soon as ren gets in there the party goes off and of course you know everyone's busting their moves out uh, Willard, all of the, the dancing montages coming to fruition. They do some great moves. And it I turns knew that out, montage was going to pay off for Yeah, it. there you go. What a surprise. It turns out these guys are not the only guys who have been practicing in their, you know, football gym, gym yeah. bedroom. I don't know. The whole town has bags of tricks of dance techniques yeah. and styles that they're just waiting to bust out. For, for a town where... You would expect no one had ever danced. There are some phenomenal dancers in this high school class. Including an awesome scene where they all, you know, move together in unison. It's, it's very kind of Bollywood, really, but it's, it's Yeah, awesome. it is, it is it's very uplifting. Uh, the other thing I want to say is um, there's a lot of glitter in this scene. It is, it is a rainfall, a, 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 a torrent of glitter. A torrent. A petrol torrent of glitter. Yeah. For a town there, where their kind of main decorating technique seemed to be moving the hay, <laughs> hay bales around, I, I'm surprised at the volume and quantity and quality of glitter that they are able to procure. But, you know, they're full of surprises. Well, I was thinking when I said they're moving the flour sacks out, maybe I just misinterpreted it. They're moving bags the glitter. glitter. Exactly, just 50-pound bags of glitter coming on in. So, anyway... Awesome final scene. Obviously, awesome music, and I gotta say, awesome movie. What, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, it's good fun. So all's well that ends well. All's well that ends well, and it's not. It doesn't just end well in the sense that the kids get to dance. You feel like the whole town has been through a, a healing process, right? The Reverend Moore has said goodbye to his son. You know, they've they've kind of decided to trust their teenagers instead of repressing them. You know, it's it's Ren has come good as kind of the, you know the the New big kid. man. Yeah, it's. Yeah. it's it's uh, one of those movies that just uh, spring in your step and a smile in your heart. Everyone except for the ex-boyfriend. Yeah, it doesn't go well for the ex-boyfriend, but uh, there you have it. Well, that's the movie Footloose, and uh, we're the children of the 80s. Thank you very much for listening. Good night.